Cities. Let me say a very special good evening to our listeners to the Dominican.net radio and to Q95. Let me welcome you to this week in interview. Our special guest this week is Dr. Peter Sejan. Dr. Sajan needs very little introduction. He is a sociologist and criminologist trained at the University of Chicago. And for the past several years, Dr. Sajan has been taking a very keen interest in the issues of crime in Dominica and across the world. And tonight we are very um, fortunate to have Dr. Sajan joining us for the entire hour of this weekend interview as we look at a very interesting topic of crime in Dominica. Okay, again, let me say a very special welcome to all of our listeners again, and let me say a very special welcome to you, Dr. Sergio. Yes, good evening, Dr. Thornton. How are you? Well, I'm doing great, I'm Dr. Sergio, and it's great uh, to have you with us tonight for the entire hour. Uh, let me just say a very special welcome, of course, to the listeners, uh, Dominicans, and the friends of Dominicans um, in Dominica and across the globe who are tuned in to TDN Radio and to Q95 FM the FM frequencies in Dominica. We're glad to have you, Dr. Sanjay, with us, and uh, we have a very interesting topic um, to discuss tonight, something that must be concerning to all of us Dominicans, uh, a very critical area of crime, and we're going to look at it in all its, in all its different forms tonight. And, of course, we'll encourage our listeners uh, to join us in the conversation towards the second half of the program. But I wanted to start off, Dr. Seja, by, by asking you a very simple question. Is Dominica a more violent place today compared to how it was, say, 10, 15 years ago? Well, uh, it, it depends on, on, on what you, you look at. Um, when you look at the statistics, uh, if you say 10 to 15 years ago, um, you know, we are talking 
we were talking about uh, in 1998, and believe it or not, 19, uh, around 1998, we saw the highest um, numbers of, um, of of total indictable crimes, and and we saw some increases and some decreases. And actually, if we're talking statistically, we even saw a, a, a small decrease uh, in 2011 as opposed to 2010. So if we're talking about, about statistically, we are about statistically similar to where we were um, in there about in there about 1998. But of course, we are talking about one point as opposed to another point instead of looking at the trajectories over time. And the crimes have been fluctuating up and down. And again, when we talk about the crime, it's important to, to to clarify what we really are talking about because, you know, if we're talking about total crimes as opposed to talking about violent crimes or predatory crimes, those various crimes fluctuate in, in different ways. So what we have seen uh, are fluctuations statistically. Um, we saw, uh, like, when, in, um, when I did the paper in 2005, uh, the the paper on um, entitled More Money, More Crime, we saw a 100% increase in crime uh, in 2005 compared to 21 years before. And uh, and we are seeing somewhat of a maintenance of that over the period of time around this time. Now, when we talk about increases in crime, we can talk about reports, about crime, about crime reports, and we can talk about, about how people feel about crime. So there is so sometimes when we talk about increases in crime and we talk when we look at police statistics, people are very seldom uh, um, um, being very mindful about what uh, um, that we are just talking about statistics, not about the felt reality about crime. That's why I advocate so much for a victimization survey so we can get a better sense of how it feels to people on the ground. But Dr. Sejal, what about the nature of the crimes? Um, I mean, in the past, say, 15, 20 years, the kinds of crimes in Dominica, well, a break and open by there, you know, a, a person snatching a purse by there, but now you're talking about crimes against tourists. You're talking about kidnapping that we'd never seen before in Dominica. Is, that a, is there a change in the trend of crime, and what do you think accounts for that change? Yeah, well, that is not that, that's not the change in the, in the trend so much, but it's a change in the nature of, of the crimes. And um, I don't remember when um, Francis Pierre was uh, was killed. I don't remember what year it was, but I can say that at least from my analysis, when we look at kind of heinous crimes and uh, and the presence of heinous crimes, to my mind. That was um, kind of the most graphic type of frightening homicide that we saw in in, in recent time. The first, at least, at least for my take. And then now we see the types of bold crimes, you know, that we see. It seems to be unprecedented, at least the way that it is consumed in the, in, the, in the mass media. Because people, I mean, I'm from Trafalgar. You know, as you know, and um, there have been, from the time I was a little boy, I've, I've heard of, you know, isolated incidents or incidents of tourists, the story of the tourists that may have been bitten up or things robbed from them and, and those types of things. 
but uh, we do not we do not see the, the massive type of explosion of the information as we as we see now that that we have to also account for. But we cannot deny the fact that some of the the crimes we saw last year, what we saw happen in the Integra area, and what we read about in the in the media recently, that these are very troubling. These are very troubling incidents, and it's not unprecedented to say that tourists were never robbed before, but it has never been to the to the to the front of the public awareness in the way that we see it now in the mass media. You know, Dr. Seja, uh, some time ago I was talking to an individual and he reminded me that currently in Dominica, uh, you have been quoted quite a bit uh, because of a statement you made concerning crime. And it, uh, just to paraphrase, I think it had to do with the something to the effect that um, because we are a developing country or because of development, that that is an inevitable consequence of that development. I would like to give you an opportunity to clear that statement because some people actually um, hold you responsible for the for the politicians in making that statement. I would like to give an opportunity to, to explain to our audience what exactly, if you said it to begin with and if you did, what exactly you meant by that. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Dr. Fountain. And in fact, anybody can go to Google and put in more money, more crime. And you will see the article, in fact, it's on your website, Dr. Fountain, it's on the website of DAS, and they'll find it in Google. And that paper, I wrote that paper in 2005, and as a matter of fact, um, towards the front of the paper, um, if I may just read this, read what I wrote, if you, cause can I just read it, it won't be very long. Um, it, it says that over the past 21 years, 2004 to, two, I'm sorry, 1984 to 2004 in Dominica, increases in economic development have corresponded with significant increases in crime. In other words, more money per capita has corresponded with more crimes per capita. I said, based on this finding, policy makers should not primarily rely on economic developments to reduce crime problems in Dominica. Instead, considering the trends from the previous 21 years in Dominica, economic development should be expected to increase crime rates, or rather should be increased, should increase, or crime rates should increase with economic development. Therefore, and, and that's the important point here, so oftentimes people pull off a little part of a paper and they run with it and don't and take it out of context. The sentence is, therefore, concurrent with efforts aimed at increasing economic development, which should include gainful employment, serious commitments, um, serious commitments must be made to independently address factors that will have direct impacts on reducing crime in the nation. And I go on to explain what those, uh, what those things, things uh, mean, right? And, uh, and Dr. Fountain, I, I indicated that uh, the data in Dominica over the last 21 years, the total GDP, Increased by 55.4%. That is from 38.67 million uh, per 10,000 residents in, 2000, in, in 1984 and then 60.8 in, in, in 2004. And it says correspondingly over the same period, total indictable crimes per capita have increased by 100%. 95.6% per capita uh, per, per 1,000 residents in 19. 84 and then 191.3 in 2004. And burglaries have increased by 73%. 
right? And and I went on to 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 to, to say uh, to show that for every one percent increase in the total in, in the GDP, we saw a two point two percent increase in indictable crimes and a two point six percent increase uh, so in, in 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 total crimes, right? So what that what I, what the paper really said is that when when economic development occurs, we should expect crimes to increase because relative deprivation and oftentimes when people get in uh, relative deprivation increases and some of the problems associated with that in increase. So therefore, what we need to do at the same time, we do not, if we do develop places and we do not develop people, crimes will inevitably increase. So therefore, what we have to do concurrently with economic development is to do the type of social development that is necessary because almost inevitably more money may fuel more, uh, more crime, especially if it carries with it relative deprivation and it does not have social development with it. All right, Dr. Sosa, I'm glad you got an opportunity to, to clarify this point. Basically, I, and I get to your point that you're making. Um, let's, look, let's look more closely. Let's take a closer look, if you would, at what we're seeing evolving, for example, within the school system, where we have had several incidents of, of school kids wounding each other or hurting each other, hurting teachers, what do you think, in your opinion, Dr. Um, Dr. Sejan, what do you think accounts for that type of behavior? Uh, very good question. Uh, and, I, and I'm glad you're asking the question and not kind of prefacing it with some supposition. One of the things that we need to avoid is, is what I call prescription without proper diagnosis. That is, uh, people... Um, because of one incident or knowledge you may have about one incident, to take this and kind of globalize it and just without any analysis of what those issues really are, to start just having interventions. And then when those interventions fail, you wonder why they fail. So one of the things that no one, absolutely no one in Dominica, including myself, who has done maybe the most social research and crime issues in Dominica, none of us have a a proper enough handle on understanding of those issues because we have not done the type of victimization survey, self-reporting survey, and analysis that will inform us intelligently enough about the root causes of those problems. Now, that is not to say that the teachers that interact with the students every day and the people in the ministry and the police officers do not have a good uh, have have some sense of what is going on, of course, and the parents and so on do not have a sense of going, of course. But what you know about your child and what you know about your neighbor, to what extent is that applicable across um, or students in a different form or students in, in in different in different schools? And a lot of things. So when those things happen, we hear a lot of hypotheses. You know, people say, you know, that the parents need to take control of the children. You know that a lot of these kids come from single-parent homes. They say that it is the American lifestyle. You know, you hear a whole variety of the presence of, of drugs and available weapons and the gangs in the schools. All of these things may well be correct. But the question is, if those things even are indeed correct, what are the ways that they unfold in various 
interfaces with various people that will make certain interventions more likely or less likely to reduce those problems. You understand, Dr. Fountain? So, so all of the things we see as those problems may be true. The extent to which they are, we do not know until we really scientifically measure that. And unless we knew, know this well enough, we will not be able to have the proper types of interventions that are going to work over time. But Dr. Susan, surely, and I want to stay on the aspect of who is to blame, surely somebody is to blame in all of, it, of, of this. Is it the youth who are misbehaving, um, or is, is it the parents, is it the police, is it the political parties, who is to blame in all of this, or is anybody to be blamed? Well, I mean, I, I'm not the one to really kind of point fingers of blame. I'm more the one to think about how do we understand the various sources that feed into the problem and how do we uh, go to the sources and hold those sources to some degree responsible for the solution. Uh, but, if, but if we were to entertain the question of blame, um, we would say, we, we would re realize that whenever, you know, whenever you see an ice, uh, the tip of an iceberg, it is an indication that there are a lot of bigger, there's a bigger body of that thing, that white thing of ice that is there. So, in fact, the problem, even before we go about blaming folks, we have to realize that the problems that we are seeing now are even bigger than they are, because we never see the full extent of the problem. There are a lot of other school violence, violent incidents in the pipeline in Dominica as they are in Chicago, as they are in Buffalo, New York, as they are in other places. And one of the things that we see is that no one of, no two or three of those incidents are identical. In some cases, in, in, a, in some cases you have incidents where people, some kids were, uh, have been, you know, they're, they're constantly watched because they have had prior incidents, so they've had prior infractions with, with the law of the school, and they're, they, they, they constantly look, looked upon and they, and they feel pressured that they feel as if they're being, they're being castigated somehow and they have to defend themselves. Some of them get to get involved in, in drug use. Some of them have problems at home. So the, 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 the truth of the matter is that all, every aspect of society is responsible for raising and breeding a responsible child. And in our laws, we actually define those young persons as juveniles because uh, there is a notion in neoclassical theory that tells us that persons who have not arrived at the age of minority, majority are what we call feeble-minded, that they do not yet have the capacity to give consent for sex, that they do not have the capacity to do certain things with a certain, certain proper understanding, and adults are therefore responsible to socialize them in the types of ways that they should be acting right in society. So if we have to start pointing any fingers, and if we have to start blaming anyone, we certainly could not leave out blaming the, uh, some level of blame on the family. Uh, we certainly cannot leave out, I mean, some people will say even blaming the child themselves, because sometimes you have children that are in great environments, and they choose. A lot of the young persons I work with that have involved in deviant violent behavior, they say there's nothing wrong in the home, there's nothing wrong in the school, that's just what they want to do. They do. And they may just say that, that may not necessarily be true, there may be something deeper than that, but the child has some level of responsibility. When we talk about schools, 
the, the idea of our society is that the parent is the first circle. The parent, um, the, 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 the nuclear family, is the first circle of responsibility for the child. The mother and the father, but the child in the world, and then the extended family, the family members, the grandmother and grandfather, and so on. When that nuclear family cannot function, the larger circle should be able to, to work. And then the community is supposed to work with supporting the child. But that child does not exist in a vacuum away from the broader society, away from the school, because the home might be good, but when the child goes, that's where the child learns the bad habits from. To what extent are the agents in the school working as catchments, as nets, that if the, if the nuclear family or the extended family are not functioning as well as they should, or even when they are, that they add what they can to help socialize that child. And, when, and to what extent are we responding to the problems that the children are in, in a prevention mode rather than waiting for it to get further on? And some people even blame the law and say there are still laws that, that prohibit you know, people from chastising the children, and because of that, we're raising children, you know, who are malpasse, and children who, you know, and if you touch them, they'll call DCFS on you in the United States, or they will call social social services on you, uh, and Dominica, and so on. And, and then, of course, some will rightfully point fingers at the culture in the United States, the kind of gangster culture and the culture of materialism. So one way or the other, Dr. Uh, Dr. Fountaine, you know, the short answer to this is that we all are to some degree responsible for raising, for, for raising children that identify the type of society that we want, that we need. But every case will point to a different subgroup of our society that should be more responsible to turn this thing around. Okay, um, in case you are just joining us, we are talking there to Dr. Peter Sejan, who is a leading sociologist and criminologist, and we are discussing for the full hour the crime situation in Dominica. We've been focused so far on trying to identify what the problem is, and there will be some time later on for us to talk about the possible solutions. But Dr. Sejan, before we start talking about interventions and solutions to the problem, I need to ask this question. Okay, we've seen, we've heard the reports that's of all the crime that is taking place in Dominica. We've listened to the disquiet. We've seen the types of crimes, the level of crime. My question to you is a very basic one. Should the Dominican public be concerned? Or should we just assume that this is something that will blow away, that this is a normal part of society, and we should not really be fearful about it? Is there reason to be concerned by the recent trend in crime in Dominica? Oh, absolutely. Um, um, what that means, and I wish I had the speech of um, Dr. Of, um, um, former Pre um, Prime Minister Pierre Charles in 2003 when he opened uh, for the, the, the peaceful, I um, mean, the, the, the crime symposium in Dominica. And um, um, Mr. It's, it's no, it's no, it's no news that um, prime ministers often sometimes do not write their own speeches. So I don't think I'm getting out of line here when I indicate that um, uh, Mr. Black, Mr. Ribbon Blackman, myself, actually the ones who wrote the speech for for for, for Honorable Pierre Charles. Now, when I did the analysis, uh, what what was what happened and what, what what Honorable Charles said in in his speech following the analysis that I provided is that. Um, at, at the time, and, I, and I'm, I'm, wrong, I'm going to round up the figures because I don't remember the exact, the, the exact number, but if I were to even go on the analysis that I did for the Mormonimo crime uh, paper, and I indicated that over the 21 years, over the 21, 21 years in Dominica, the, the crimes had increased by 100, and then the crimes had increased by 100%. And 
if we had, uh, so that means if we had, let us say, um, I, I'm not looking at the figures now, but let's, we usually have about, let's say, 12 to 1,500 total indictable crimes in, uh, you know, 2010, 2011. You know, it probably was around that. You know, that is to say we are talking about close to 3,000, you know, uh, 3,500 to 3,000 indictable crimes. If we're talking about 15 homicides, uh, 14 homicides that happened uh, in 2010, we're talking about 28 homicides or so, right? If you're talking about a crime rate right now, or talking about a homicide rate right now of about, well, well, we had six homicides last year, so that turns out to be a crime rate of probably close to four, four homicides per um one hundred thousand because we are less than one hundred thousand, but that is a that was that's unusually low because that's a sixty percent decrease over the previous over the previous year. But let us say that we hovered around ten homicides a year around now. We are talking about twenty homicides from uh, uh, about about ten fifteen years from now. Right now, who uh, now? When you look, I'm, I'm 20. I'm, so you're talking about a, a double increase in the crime rate, right? So that means to say about. So if it's if it is now about seven seven uh, homicides per 100,000 people, we are talking about 14 homicides per 100,000 people. Now, who's who's going to be the one to volunteer their son? Who who who's the first one to volunteer their daughter? When we look at the when we look at the fact that we probably have about 70 or so um, robberies uh, a year. We usually have close to a thousand or so burglaries a year. Now we're going to have a um, hundred and twenty or two thousand burglaries. I mean, who's home? Who's volunteering for their home to be? Of course, we should be very, very much concerned because it is not only about the numbers of the crime, but the severity of the crime. And what happens is that as we get more infiltrated with the types of criminality that we see overseas and the kind of cultural penetrations that happen in the type of modus operandi of crime and those types of things, the crimes will be, criminals become kind of more bold. And I can tell you this from someone who's working on the front line with multiple, with multiple time murderers here in Chicago and rapists, active. I'm not talking about folks you see on TV, I'm talking about folks I work with on a day-to-day basis. And sometimes the offenders become somewhat like cockroaches. And I, I'm not used to saying this to make any derogatory uh, reference to any group of people, but I'm talking about cockroaches that perform and you probably know that if you spray bagon or you spray fleet or you spray some sort of pesticide on a, on a cockroach, you know, eventually become kind of immune to that and you have to up the dosage. Um, in the same way, when some of those guys I work with, you know, they will tell me, you know, how one year or five years of, of going to prison or five years of prison was a problem. And last week, a guy told me that he was so fed up of being out there on the streets that he's going to be going back to prison anyway. And if I needed him to kill somebody for me, he'd be happy to do it because now he'd have a real reason for why he's going to go back to jail. I'm not making stuff up. I'm telling what someone told me. He became kind of immune to this whole back and forth and back and forth. And after a while, if, if, if offenders are not um, properly rehabilitated and, and then readjusted to society and those things happen, they become so heinous because what, ha- what we see in Dominica now, Dr. Fountain, the way that things have, ha- things have happened and unfolded in Jamaica, the way that they have unfolded in Trinidad, the way that they have unfolded to some degree is happening now uh, in St. Lucia. Um, the solutions are very much concerned about, about their lives, but we still not in Trinidad, Jamaica, and some places in the United States. When we move from those types of bold robberies that we see, what happens next is it escalates to kidnapping. Now, we saw that incident in the uh, Tarry Street area where the two kids are probably still, two young persons are probably still missing. But kidnapping becomes 
a type of robbery. It is not like the type we saw in in uh, in, Mar- in Marigold, where these guys went and they were masked and, and whatever happened and they left. No, the type of kidnapping that usually comes when when robbers um, get up to another level is that they go in there, they kidnap people and have guns to the head, and they use the people go up to the ATM machine and use people as the carrot stick for robbery. So we have we have to be concerned because the the, the, the path that, that the natural path of these types of criminality result in an increase in the heinous nature of the crime, an increase in the seriousness and the boldness. And as the as we start to be interdicting them and as society and the police start to become more effective, if we do not address the, the not just the, 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 the demand and the motivation for the offending, and we just respond to suppressing it, the criminals will be finding more and more ways to try to overcome the resistance, and they will become, they will become even more deadly. And so that's why sometimes you find that the death penalty sometimes results in even more mayhem, because somebody says, well, you know, they're probably going to kill me, so I'm going to take a few people out with me. And, and sometimes, you know, sometimes that's a result. I mean, somehow get a death penalty is a, is, is a deterrent. That's another conversation. So we, have, we really have these things to be worried about, because when you have four homicides a year, that's a lot for people. When you go to five, my gosh, that's a lot. But after a while, when you go up to 15, and now you have six like we have, we're totally, some people may be complacent with six, but you could go back up to 15 and 20 very quickly. You know, so, and, and not only the type, again, the numbers of the crime, but the type of the crime. And Dr. Fountain, what is very important is that we have to be concerned because it is free to fail, but failure is not free. There is a cost for failure. So if we are doing things and we are not succeeding, more and more we are going to lose people who are motivated to help us to overcome this problem. And more and more people are going to say, we, you know, we, we, really so cool, as we say, and we'll be putting their hands up and will not be willing to work hard to make a change because they believe a change is no longer possible. Okay, you are listening there to this week in interview. Our, another guest this week is uh, Dr. Peter Sejan. We will take a short break, and on the other side of the break, we will talk about the whole question of crime and punishment as well as intervention. I would like to let our listeners know as well that you can join the conversation when we come back, and the number you'd like to call if you are residing in Dominica and you'd like to call the program, you can do so. There's a local number for you. The number is 442 one two one four that is four four two one two one four if you're calling from overseas the number to call is three zero one three two seven six one five four three zero one three two seven six one five four or if you prefer you can send us an email and the email you want to use is radio at the dominican.net we'll take a short break and we'll be right back with our guest dr peter Seja. Another in the head 
Live, I'm with Dr. Peter Seja. Again, the numbers to call if you'd like to uh, join the conversation tonight on this week in interview. It is 442-1214, if you're calling from Dominica. You can send us an email, radio at the dominican.net. Or if you're calling long distance, you can send us, uh, you can call us rather at 301-327-6154. Now, Dr. Seja, right before we went to break, you were... You, you touched on something that I wanted to kind of talk about. I know it's a, it's a short program, and there's so, so many different aspects to this whole situation. But it has to do with the whole question of crime and punishment. And I've been listening to the conversations that we've had in Dominica. And some people believe that a lot of the crimes that we're seeing today is because the level of punishment in, in Dominica, it seems, to, it seems to be the case that uh, you have a lot of tit for tat, you have a lot of vigilante justice. In fact, people say that even the most recent kidnapping was a case of that. The several shootings in Portsmouth was uh, tit for tat because people get the sense that A, uh, when criminals are caught, they don't spend enough time in jail, and B, they see, it seems that the, the court system in Dominica is generally lax. Now, I would like your thoughts on this, and also, when you are responding, I would like your thoughts as well on the whole issue of the death penalty, because in Dominica now, there seems to be a human cry. Recently, we heard the, um, the, the, the lawyer in the DPP's office, uh, Mr. Clement Joseph, indicating that he was in support of it. The Prime Minister is on record as saying that the death penalty will never be, not be an option. I would like your views on this. As someone who studied the phenomena of punishment and crime, I would like you to put it in context for me as far as Dominica is concerned. Yes, uh, and, and Dr. Fonte, before I answer your question, if you don't mind, I just want to clarify, clarify one thing, that when I mentioned before about the, the more money, more crime paper, and the idea that we should expect crimes to increase with economic development, and because of that, we need to do the important things to keep crimes down, because if we don't do the things to keep crimes down, they will automatically increase the economic development. I also want to say that the analysis also showed that the economic factors explained only 22% of the whole crime issue in Dominica, right? So even if we are talking, so that means, you know, uh, 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 we're talking about, uh, about 68% um, of, of, of the issues regarding the crime act are beyond those economic um, indicators that were related to the to the GDP. I just wanted to say that. So so we cannot rely just on economic statements to deal with these issues of crime. Um, and, and as a matter of fact, that, that's a good segue to, to what you were asking. And if I understand your question correctly, you were basically asking me about the relationship between punishment and crime, punishment as a deterrent to crime, or can punishment or the type of punishment or the lack thereof actually lead to an increase in crime? Right, and especially, and especially Dr. Seja, in the context of Dominica today and what you know of the way the court system operates and the types of sentences that have been handed out? Yes. Um, well, the first thing you had mentioned before about retaliatory crime, and I am not speaking out of turn 
uh, when uh, the, the listeners and yourself will be familiar with a guy named Von Dodds. Um, in fact, some people called me the other day and asked me if I was sure that Von Dodds was in the United States because they claimed that the crime of the crimes that are happening in Dominica <laughs> are the kinds of crimes that Von Dodds has been accused of, of committing um, as part of his MO. And in right, fact, Von Dodds has, has said it publicly. He has said it to me. I'm writing a book um, uh, now on, on his life and his success in, in turn changing his life around, at least his success so far over a year and, and a few months after he was he was shot 11 times. But Von Dodds has said uh, to me and to others very unapologetically that if we had not, if Tiani B. Hansen um, had not organized uh, that Wesley Peace Conference on the 20, 20th, uh, 21st of January last year, and I did not get involved, and all the people did not get involved with this, that very likely the prediction that some people had made that at least one person would be killed for every bullet that one that sustained all those 11 bullets, that was the word on the street that I got even before I met one dot. And Vaughn, Vaughn, Vaughn has, he has said this to me, and he has said this to other folks, that there would easily have been retaliatory homicide, at least one. And he had already had a plan of how it would happen as a result of the injuries that he had sustained. Right? Um, there are many other instances that I know of firsthand where there have been retaliatory crime in Dominica. Um, and I can talk about countless of them uh, in the United States, but we're talking here about Dominica. So the idea, and, and when Tiani Bianson um, and some others talk about the need for some sort of, of uh, regulations around bail. Well, I'm sure there are regulations and guidelines around bail. But once some persons call for the fact that when, if some persons should be denied bail because if they are released, the idea about about uh, keeping persons in custody in, in very high-profile or certain types of crimes is that they become a danger to themselves, they become a danger to society, and the whole idea is to protect them and to protect the society from harm. And some of those persons, some persons have been released on bail, and once some thought that they should not be released on bail, and such persons have ended up dead or have disappeared. And, and so on and so forth. So there is a real uh, idea about uh, vigilante, not vigilante justice, but vigilante justice is kind of, you know, so, you know, uh, people taking the, you know, the, the type of, not what uh, the guy um, uh, Zimmerman uh, uh, did, but the type of, of, of things that we have seen with people trying to defend the neighborhood. We're talking about the type of retaliatory crime. We have to be very concerned uh, about this thing, that we have to be careful in the law, how we expose people and release people and deal with those types of things, and how speedily we deal with uh, with those cases so that justice, you know, uh, swift justice can be can be provided and people can have confidence in the law so that the law would serve as a type of deterrent that it's supposed to serve. Now, when we talk about this issue of, of, um, of capital punishment, People have the ideological differences based on religion, based on a whole variety of things, of what, whether to support capital punishment or, or death by, in this case, we're talking about death by hanging. And Dominique, that 1983, I think, was the last time that, uh, that someone actually had gone up uh, was on hanging in, in Dominica. We have different reasons of why we believe, and actually studies have indicated um, um, on both sides about the pluses and minuses associated with capital punishment. But let me just discuss a little bit about what, when we talk about punishment, what is the, the logic 
of what punishment is supposed to be, at least the way that we, uh, uh, crime experts and criminologists or public administrators in that realm think about it. You know, punishment is supposed to do two things. It's supposed to teach and it's supposed to guide. It's supposed to teach the person about what it is that they did wrong and they should not do it again. It's supposed to teach people who did not do that crime but may have had, have had privy to the fact that this crime happened. What can happen to you or someone you love or someone you do not like or whatever if they commit that crime? So it's supposed to teach that lesson and teach people about what the laws of society are, and it's supposed to give them, you know, be beyond just, uh, just, just, just the punishment or the pain, but the pain is supposed to be associated with learning something so you can do better next time. And the next part of it is that punishment is supposed to guide. Now, the idea that punishment is supposed to guide, what it says is that what the law do, does in a particular case of how it responds to a situation of legal agents should be a guide for the general population of what they should expect in society, swiftness, fairness, and oftentimes in classical theory, we say that the punishment must be severe, it must be swift, the punishment must be severe, and the punish punishment must fit the crime for which it is associated. So when we talk about, so that's why some people, when we talk about about capital punishment, the question is, what is it, what is it guiding society to us? And some persons, like the Pope, and some persons who do not believe in, 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 in death, in, in, in capital punishment, would say that, that it is not guiding society that violence does not beget violence. And of course, we can get into the wars and all those types of things, because some people will claim that that's a hypocritical statement. But there is a thing, uh, Dr. Fountain, called police suicide. And police suicide is not when police officers kill themselves. In the field, when we talk about police suicide, we are talking about when persons may want to take their own lives, and they are too frightened or too cowardly to do it, they put themselves in harm's way with the law so that they can end up dead. Um, and there have been studies conducted of instances, and myself, I've worked with people who have, uh, who have attempted police suicide and actually failed um, in, in, in that attempt. But the whole idea uh, uh, from some of those arguments is that um, capital punishment uh, can serve as, a, as, as an attraction for persons, some would claim, are not in their right minds, although some are aggregate in their right mind, that they have a way to live this earth that they know for sure they're not going to sit around in prison, but if they go out and they do this, this thing that death that they want, they will inevitably have. Now, these are a bunch of different things. On the other hand, you have the argument that if people know that they're going to die, if they don't want to die, then they won't do what they're supposed to do. And the law has to show that it is serious about punishing people, and if it can go as far as killing you, then that's the most serious it can be. The question, again, uh, is, is, is in the Dominican society, in our current state of existence, which is better for us? I mean, of course, capital punishment is on the books. It is hardly, well, it hasn't been used in a while. Should we be using it more? As we saw uh, some, of the, some of the very blatant crimes, because not all crimes are capital crimes. Not every time you kill someone, that is a capital, uh, it's, it's a capital crime. So I, I say that I say that to say that the fountain that this is to me an empirical question. It is not something that 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 the answer it could could be had in, in in basically in philosophical discussions. I think I think we would have to do a, a, a good empirical analysis and look at at um, the way people think about crime and how people learn 
how people learn about crime, how are people guided, and to see how a capital punishment and the exercise of capital punishment would indeed be a deterrent to the type of people who would deliberately go out to kill. Because you're not talking about a capital punishment for someone who was driving their car intoxicated or driving their car and was texting and killed someone. You're talking about the, the, the premeditated, the men's way that I'm going to kill that person, that's the person I want to kill, and I kill them. You know, that is usually the type of, um, the extent of the crime that this thing is exposed to. So we'll, what will it serve for this type of people? I think in the Dominican context, we need to understand that better. Yes, Dr. Sejan. Yes. Yes, um, and that, in fact, this question that we're just getting now for radio at the Dominican.net, we have a listener in Canada and the question is, he asks, he says, Dr. Seja, you've done a lot of work on crime in Dominica. Briefly, what would you propose should be done at this time to stem the rising incidence of crime at home? I like, I like the part, the, 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 the word I like the most in this uh, question is briefly. I like that. Um, <laughs> what we should, do, it should be done is that the, the, the Prime Minister of Dominica currently holds a phased plan for the implementation of the proposal for the improving and, maint and maintaining and improving peaceful Dominica. What should be done right now is as soon as the Honorable Prime Minister and those who are working with him can to allow us to, 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 to make the necessary uh, steps to allow us to begin that work on the ground. The very first step that that proposal asks for, rightfully so, is that we do we, we get a proper understanding of the crime picture in Dominica in reference to what we already know. That is the crimes reported to the police to do that analysis and to overlay the existence of, of, of those statistics with, this, with um, some of the data we already know from the census data and so on, so we can have a better picture of what is going on. The second level of that, the second part of this, would be to do a victimization survey, to understand better the unreported crimes so we can have a better picture of what is really going on. And based on that baseline data, we will, we will, we will do an asset, an, a, a, a strength and weakness of basically uh, um, uh, assets and needs assessment to see what we need and what we have. And, and, and in, the need, in, the, in, in the assessments of the, of the assets and what we are doing, we need to see the things that we are doing now in Dominica to reduce crime and to increase peace. How well are these things working? What are the types, which are the, of the programs or the interventions that we need to keep, that, what, which ones we need to tweak, which ones we need to throw out, and which ones, where do we need to introduce? And we need to do that on an evidence-based platform, meaning that we need to do this in a way that we can have an accurate account of, of, the, of the impact that we are, we are making, that we can improve them over time. And the last part of this is that we need to sustain these things over time. Because even if we went on the ground tomorrow, it would probably get worse before it gets better. Because the fact of the matter is that there are a bunch of homicides in the pipeline. There are a bunch of rapes and robberies in the pipeline that have been planned and are going to happen, unfortunately, as we speak. Because the forces that make this thing happen are already in motion. Now, some of them we may not be able to stop. But there are some of them in the future that we might be able to curtail if we are able to better understand these issues. And, of course, that doesn't leave off the importance of faith-based uh, faith institutions and so on and so forth. But I think right now what we need to do is to begin 
um, by implementing the proposal that I outlined, that the, the team and I outlined uh, for what for for the way that we we need to approach this. And if, if the, the, the caller went on Google and just put in peaceful Dominica proposal, they would see that 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 um, proposal that that we wrote and is up there. Forget about the price and and, and, and all of that. We can work that stuff out. It is some stuff we don't even have, some of that we don't even have to charge for. But that is what is laid out, and I ex- and I explain the the priority plan uh, on on the last piece. And hopefully, I think pretty soon we might hear from the platform from our Prime Minister Roosevelt Scott. Now, try to be brief, by the way. Yes. Now, Doctor Sesha, you have, um, and I'm glad you you mentioned because that was what we are kind of going to be talking about now. The whole issue of of peace of this peace initiative. It is clear to me that uh, given the current state of crime that there must be intervention now i know you have a very unique way of looking at it and you've put forward some concrete proposals can you share some of that with our audience as to what exactly your concept of of peace is in terms of how it can be used as an as a tool to intervene where you have such situations as we have in dominica yes now, the problem in Dominica is similar to the problems in St. Kitts, and I was in St. Kitts recently, the problem in Jamaica and Trinidad, in the sense, in the sense that we have different levels of crime, of course, but in the, in, in the sense that we are very concerned. We have been doing some things for a while, but somehow things to be slipping in front of us and getting worse. There is a simple law of physics that energy follows attention. And in the United States, you will see that the war on nothing has worked. The war on poverty, the war on crime the war on this and the war on that. Energy follows attention. That is to say that whatever you put your efforts in, that's more of what you usually get. So any type of anti-crime and anti-gun issues will most likely produce more of the problem because you need to have the problem to justify your existence. What we need is a paradigm shift, a paradigm shift away from focusing on the problem and responding to the problem to a paradigm shift of understanding what the solutions are and magnifying and amplifying the solutions. And and, and crime and violence exists in part, in great part, uh, because of the lack of capacities to find and maintain peace. Why is it that they can't find and maintain peace? Some people have the hypothesis, they may have the answers, and that may be true. But whatever it is, if we develop our capacities to find and maintain peace, violence on the other side will be dropping. And we will have a sustainable purpose to continue working on, and we need to think about peace, because violence has become an industry. It has become a culture. And and to a lot of folks, if it doesn't make money, it's not going to make sense. So what I say is that unless we turn peace into big business, unless people can feed their families out of peace, selling peace, consuming peace, the same way that we breathe the air, we should be breathing peace. And I mean, this, it, I, I explained that in the proposal as to how do we make peace into a commodity. So we need to think beyond just reducing crime to creating a more peaceful society that we consume. Part of the journey of that, of course, is crime reduction. And I explained that. I explained that in the proposal. So, so that, that's, that's part of the journey. And I talk about uh, peace as, 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 as an economic product, as a social and psychological product. I talk about moving from a, from a violence-oriented society to a peace-oriented society with, with a few pillars. One of them is, is peace-oriented justice. The other is peace-oriented politics. 
peace-oriented commerce and peace-oriented culture. We have to move to a peace-oriented society. We have to make that paradigm shift because a little program here or there is really not going to do it. We have to change the whole approach. And I want to see Dominica. I want to see Dominica. Go to, go to um, YouTube and put in Peaceful Dominica. You'll see that documentary, the, the piece of the documentary that we, we produced. I want to see Dominica sell peace. I want to see Dominica make peace as a, as a, as a consumable product. And I believe that is the sustainable way. And then we can expand that. People in Chicago are, are talking to me all the time about doing this here. But I want to do this in the Caribbean first. I want to do this in Dominica first. That, so, so in a nutshell, Dr. Fountain, with a with short time, that is, that is the brief, that is the framework that I bring to that. And business can go to the Peaceful World Movement, the ORG, and see that or just search Peaceful Dominica proposal uh, in, in Google and learn more about the, the concept of, of, of the peace, what I call the peace industry approach. Well, Dr. Sejan, I was just curious as to the kind of response that you're getting from the policymakers. I know you've spoken to policymakers in St. Kitts, in Jamaica, in Brazil, and elsewhere. I was just curious as to the kind of response that you're getting um, to, to that whole peace initiative. Man, I mean, it, it's frightening. Yesterday I had a meeting with some folks at, at the Big Name University that's doing some things in the Caribbean. This morning I was with a, a search company, a research company that does uh, work in, in 85 countries that want to bring the idea on board with them. And, and somehow I'm stubbornly, I'm stubbornly wanting to do this in Dominica first and wanting to do this in the Caribbean first. And I'm, and I'm willing to hold off, hold off a bit longer. In terms of the policy makers, I imagine you're talking in Dominica, the policy maker directly that I'm, I'm, we're working, I'm working directly with is Prime Minister Roosevelt Scarrett. He's the one who has asked for the proposal. He's the one who tabled it in cabinet. He's the one that I met with when I was in St. Kitts um, on, on the 11th of, of February, and he's the one that I believe very soon will be responding uh, for us to make this proposal a, a, a reality. I mean, it has taken some while. These things don't happen overnight. It has taken a while, and, I, and maybe both the Prime Minister, certainly myself, wish that, that we were on the ground already. But we hope that we are much closer to being on the ground now than we were before. And uh, I'm not completely satisfied with the speed of how quickly things are. I know these things can take some more time, but I hope that my, my prediction that we are much closer now uh, than, than, you know, than we were six months ago is is, is, is true, um, and and I believe that the prime minister and the, and every Domin every other Dominican wants a more peaceful Dominica, and I hope that is reflected in in somewhat of a, of, of a of a soon response to, to allowing us to do that type of work in collaboration with others on the ground. Doctor Sejer, I was I'm curious. Um, are you optimistic about uh, the situation in Dominica? Absolutely. And about Absolutely. the prospects for change and improvement, because it seems to me, and I've heard different different um, comments. Like for example, when the in the recent robbery of the British tourists, they described Dominica as paradise lost. We are about the lost generation, referring to our young boys and girls in school at this time. Is there any reason for any of us to be to be optimistic? Well, I don't know about other people, but there are reasons for me to be optimistic. One of the reasons that I am optimistic, and I said absolutely, is I believe in the spirit of the Dominican people. I am a Dominican person, and I know that Dominicans, we say we talk a lot and we make a whole bunch of noise, but both Dominicans are, are traditionally very bright people that, that love their country and love each other, and are even divided in unity, but sometimes united in division. And I think part of what, Dominic, what is going to happen is that very soon, 
uh, Dominica may have a common enemy. You know, we are divided, and of course the common enemy is already there, but maybe not conspicuously enough. You know, we are divided, divided along political lines and other types of lines. But one of the things that I've seen, I, I know that is true to the Dominica spirit, is that when we all feel that this thing is affecting us all commonly, we tend to be able to come together and work. And Dominicans have proven over and over that the bright and committed people that we are, that we can prevail over all kinds of problems. I saw it during Hurricane David. I saw it in different times. And I know there are different types of divisions, but I know that there is going to be something that is going to be that common problem that is going to pull us all together. It hasn't happened yet. Hopefully, hopefully it's not something too devastating, but I think what it does, Dominicans can and will prevail. That, that, is, that is my honest, my, my honest and God-filled. Dr. Sejan, I hear the optimism, um, but I'm looking at uh, the very stark uh, you know, incident that has been happening over and over again, and I'm particularly concerned with what is going on with our young people, you know, the, the, the students, the, the students who are receiving an, an education who ought to know better. Yet they turn their anger on their teachers. They, I mean, I taught for almost how many seven years in Dominica, ten years even, and I've never seen anything like this. You know, you have students who are turning their, their anger and their frustration on their teachers, and you you wonder really uh, is is there is that does that represent a, a hundred and eighty degree turn? Does that represent a, a point of no return for us? Uh, no, it does not. It does not identify a point of no return. What we have to do is to look at the whole picture. And one of the things that I've learned in my field is that oftentimes drug addicts and, and alcoholics do not really start changing their lives seriously until they hit rock bottom. Some people do not start taking their relationships seriously until they really, really get, get broken heart. And some Dominicans were in kind of denial that we have a problem, and the problem does not require my participation. I believe what those heinous acts that we're seeing now, um, uh, what they are teaching us is that none of us are really immune from this. This is getting closer to you. And if you believe your child cannot be involved, your cousin can be involved, when you think that what happened in California can happen in Dominica, wake up and smell the coffee. It's a lot closer to you than you realize. So you better wake up and do something. I see this as a wake-up call for the actions that we need to take and we can take and prevail. I don't see this as an inevitable indication that we are doomed to all die at the hands of our young people. We have that problem, and if anybody says we do not have a problem, now we have more evidence to show that the problem is there. Let us get busy and let's fix it. That is why my optimism is there, because I know in the broad scheme of things, if we, it's like a yin and yang, the whole Japanese, the, 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 the Asian and Japanese, uh, Japanese and Chinese type of thing. Without good, without good, we can't understand. Without bad, we can't understand good. Without the presence of those problems, some people are not motivated enough to act. My wish is that we have suffered enough to move to action. My concern, however, is that, Dr. Fountain, is that the heinous crimes that are going to really get us to move ourselves to, have to, to action have not happened yet, because some people are still sitting on the sidelines in denial, not thinking that it is time enough for them to jump in and to do the things that we need to do collectively. Okay, Dr. Sejan, very well said indeed, and um, I think that is probably a good place to, to kind of end on. 
Um, as I said, I'm not as optimistic as you, and it could be simply because I don't have your training. You, you are better trained in this, and you, you've seen the face of crime in several different communities across the globe, and you understand better what it is that we are going through in Dominica. And I hope you're able to convey that sense of, of optimism to the many people that are listening tonight who have already thrown their hands on their heads and say, Sapufe, and who have, in fact, given up. Um, so I'm, I'm glad to hear that there is optimism coming from you as a professional, someone who, who understands the problems and the issue that, that goes with crime in society. And I hope that this optimism is conveyed not only to the parents, but to the young people and also to our policymakers. Because I believe that the policymakers have a critical role to play in terms of setting examples, in terms of, of law and order, and all those things that are important to keep society together. Very quickly, lastly, and that optimism is not blank, naive optimism. It's an optimism that if the action, the appropriate action is taken, we can win. But if the appropriate action is not taken, inevitably we will be doomed. All right. Well, Dr. Seja, I want to thank you very much. I want to thank all of our listeners, those of you that communicated to us uh, via the web tonight. Let me thank all of you for being a part of this. And next week, we'll be back with another edition of this week in interview and next week we'll be talking to the issue of the insurance fiasco the clico bico issue so you want to be sure to join us for that next week wednesday at the same time on the dominican.net